Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded the testimony of Dylan Hightower, a digital data investigator for the South Carolina Solicitor's Office. In this installment, we review the testimony of SLED Special Agent Katie McAllister, and then continue our look at the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of testimony regarding the defendant's financial crimes. That's all coming up right after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It is the afternoon of February 2nd, 2023, day 7 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, digital data investigator Dylan Hightower completed his testimony. We begin today's installment with the prosecution calling South Carolina Law Enforcement Division agent Katie McAllister to the stand. Miss McAllister sports long reddish blonde hair. She wears a black blazer over a white button-up shirt. South Carolina Assistant Attorney General Savannah Goud handles the questioning for the state. She begins her direct examination of the witness by asking a few biographical questions. Good afternoon, Agent McAllister. Hello. Um, could you please tell the jury where you work? I work for the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, more commonly known as SLED. And how long have you worked for SLED? Ten years. And what is your position there? I'm a senior special agent in the Lowcountry Region Investigative Services. And were you a senior special agent back in on June 7th of 2021? I was just a regular special agent then. Goud quickly moves on to asking senior special agent McAllister about her initial involvement in the investigation. Did you have a chance to um, respond to um, Moselle Road um, in that capacity as a sled agent? I did. Can you tell us when you responded out there? I was told late on the night of June 7th to be at the office um, on June 8th. I was given some assignments and then I responded to the actual property around lunchtime on June the 8th, 2021. So June the 8th, the day after the murders <coughs> Yes. And what did you do when you got out there? Myself and uh, Special Agent Croft were almost to the house. There were several people in the roadway. Um, it appeared to be blocked, so we stopped and got out. What were those people up to? There had been a phone located on the side of the road. And um, whose phone was that? It was Maggie Murdoch's cell phone. And can you tell us about um, your involvement in the collection of Maggie Murdoch's cell phone? Yes, so once we got out of the car, I had gloves. Captain Neal retrieved the phone um, from where it was laying. I was standing right beside him when he got a phone call. He handed me the phone with my gloved hands. I held the phone for Investigator Hightower to take a picture of it. The phone call was Captain Neal receiving the passcode. He asked me to confirm it. I typed it in. Um, we confirmed that it was the right passcode. I locked the phone. 
At that point, Investigator Hightower asked me to put it in airplane mode, which I did. And so what was the point of you putting um, the passcode into that phone? To confirm that the passcode we were given matched the actual phone that we had. To confirm that was Maggie Murdahl's phone? Yes. And when you unlocked that phone, did you delete any calls? I did not. Did you delete any text messages? I did not. Did you alter any data in that phone? I did not. You locked that phone back immediately? Yeah, as soon as it opened, you know, the screen clears to show that that is the right passcode, I immediately locked it back. And then what happened to the phone as far as you know? Uh, Captain Neal, who was standing right beside me, took the phone back. Prosecutor Gowd then asks the witness about her role in the search of the Moselle property. All right, let's move on. Uh, what else did you do? So once I arrived on scene, I, myself along with Special Agent Croft, were asked to go up to the main house to do a search of the property, or of the home. Did you have a search warrant? There was a search warrant, yes. Was that search warrant executed? It was not. Why not? At the time of my arrival, multiple family close friends were at the house. Rather than executing the search warrant and displacing all of those people, we asked for consent and we were given it. And were a lot of people at that residence at the time? There were. You could give us kind of a rough estimate of the amount of people that were there. I would say maybe 20 or 25 people were in the home. And you didn't want to have to ask all those people to leave? Some of them were very upset and we thought it was better to simply ask for consent. Tell us what you found in the search of the house. So upon consent, I walked through the residence. I was looking for weapons and, and ammunition and observe it to anything else that may have been of value. I found nothing and once I came back downstairs to the gun room, Agent Croft had located several items of interest, some weapons and some ammunition. He and I collected those. I completed a property receipt. Um, let's go back to your search a little bit. When you walked through the house, were you alone? I was not. Who was with you? I believe it was John Marvin Murdoch and Lee Cope. And who were those people? John Marvin Murdoch is Alec Murdoch's brother. Lee Cope is an attorney from their law firm. What rooms of the house did you search? All of them. And these John Marvin and Lee Cope were with you when you went in every room? They were. Did you search any other places? We searched bathrooms, tubs. There were several attic type spaces where different holiday decorations were stored. We looked in there, or I looked in there, and we didn't, we didn't locate anything of value. Did you look anywhere that you thought there could be a long gun? Yes. Did you observe any bloody clothing when you were searching the residence? I did not. And you said you were observant? I was. You mentioned that Agent Croft had collected um, some weapons and some ammunition. He did. Um, would that be the um, three shotguns, a Mossberg, a Browning, and a Benelli Super Eagle, along with a 300 blackout rifle? Yes. And then some various ammunition? Yes. And what did you do with, with those items? So we gathered them together. I, we, I filled out the property receipt. We took them back to the sled office here in Walterboro, where we met with the crime scene agent, Agent Worley, and I receded those items to her. So Agent Worley took custody of those items? She did. Do you recall um, at some point speaking or being present in an interview with um, Buster Murdoch? I was. And was any evidence collected during that interview? Yes, we asked him for um, consent to do a buckle swab and also consent to look at his cell phone. 
A buccal swab is the painless removal of a sample of cells from the inside of an individual's mouth for forensic study. Goud retrieves the referenced buccal swab from the evidence table and presents it to Senior Special Agent McAllister. You could tell me what that exhibit appears to be? This appears to be the buccal swab from Richard Alexander Buster Murdoch Jr. collected June 10th, 2021 at 3.26 p.m. Now, did you collect this buccal swab? I did not. Who collected Lieutenant Charles Gent with SLED. Were you present when it was collected? I was. How did Lieutenant Gent collect this swab? A buckle swab is just two cotton swabs. He opened them from the packaging, swabbed his mouth, sealed them back up, placed them in the envelope you see there, sealed it, initialed it, and dated it. And he would have sealed that up so um, it was not tampered with. Is that correct? Yes. And I have no further questions for this witness at this time. And with that, Savannah Goud concludes her direct examination of the witness. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Judge Clifton Newman invites the defense to question Senior Special Agent Katie McAllister. Cross-examination. Dick Harpudlian rises for Alex Murdoch. Harpoolian begins his questioning by drilling down on the specifics of the witness's actions during her time on the Murdoch's Moselle property. You were present when the phone, Maggie's phone, was recovered, correct? Yes, sir, I was. Matter of fact, when we go through one of these pictures, some rubber glove, that's your hand, correct? Yes, sir, it is. Are you aware when you got that call with the passcode that that had been gotten by John Marvin? Was John Marvin down there with you at the, when you found the phone? I don't recall seeing him there, no, sir. Are you aware that that passcode came from Alec Murdoch? No, sir, I was not aware of that. And who gave it to you? Captain Neal. Now, you searched the house on the morning of the 8th? It would have been the afternoon. Okay. And you went through the entire house? Yes, sir. How many bedrooms in that house? Do you know? How many, well, how many bathrooms in Three that? or four. I don't recall the exact okay, number. But you went through every one of them? Yes, sir. And you looked for, at the tub? You looked at the showers, right? Yes, sir. What were you looking for? Ammunition, weapons. Blood? If it was there, I was observant. We were looking for anything at that point. Right. So when you look at the drain in a shower, um, if somebody's recently showered off blood, uh, you would expect to see some trace evidence there, would you not? I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that. Do you know whether any, I mean, there are trace evidence forensics people that actually go in and swab those, right? There are, yes, sir. Were they there? No, sir. Did anyone ever ask them to come that you know of? Not that I'm aware of. Do you know whether any of those showers or tubs were in any way swabbed or checked for blood or tissue or any DNA, anything that would indicate somebody had washed off uh, evidence of a crime? Nothing that I'm aware of. Okay. But you, in visually, apparently you're the only one to do this, correct? Yes. The only person that actually looked at the showers and the tubs 
you eyeballed him, right? I did. Um, you're the only person who Sled had examined Dallas' cup, and you're telling this jury you saw no evidence of blood, tissue, or anything that would indicate somebody had showered or washed off or bathed um, to remove evidence of a crime from that. Is that what you're telling us? Yes, sir. There was nothing visible to me. And you were the only one asked to do that by Sled? As far as I'm aware, yes, sir. Um, did you search the bedroom? I did. you find any clothes anywhere, shirt, pants, shoes that would indicate... Defense, Your Honor, could we ask one question at a time, please? Defense Attorney Harpudlian pushes back on Prosecutor Gowd's objection. I'm just including a class. We're not asking it individually. I apologize. I can do it individually. Take a little longer. Just a little Thank you. Any clothes, shoes, any evidence of clothing that would have blood on it or indicated had blood on it or tissue, anything that you saw in any of the bedrooms. How many bedrooms? Several. Several. You looked at all of them? Yes, sir, I did. Looked under the bed? I did. In the closet? I did. Did you see any evidence of any clothes that had been uh, involved in any sort of altercation that had left blood or tissue or brains? Did you see anything like that in any one of those rooms? No, sir, I didn't find anything like that. Thank you. No further questions. And they redirect. Take your Thank you. You may step down. And with that, SLED Senior Special Agent McAllister steps down from the witness stand. Judge Clifton Newman then releases the jury for the day, as the court will resume the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of testimony regarding the defendant's financial crimes. After the jury leaves the courtroom, the prosecution calls Michael Gunn to the stand. Mr. Gunn has been mentioned in previous episodes as a principal of Forge Consulting a real company after which Alex Murdoch named his own company in order to misappropriate client fees intended for the real forge. Gunn appears to be in his late 40s and sports a graying goatee, and dark hair parted neatly on the right side. He wears a navy blue suit with a white pocket square, a blue patterned tie, and a white dress shirt. Creighton Waters handles the questioning for the prosecution. All right, Mr. Gunn, uh, this is obviously an in-camera hearing to determine the admissibility of some of the testimony. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. All right, and so I'm not going to go into all the background and everything for purposes of this hearing, but just very quickly, where do you work? Uh, I'm a principal at Forge Consulting and also do some lobbying work for the South Carolina Association for Justice. Okay, and just very quickly, tell us what Forge Consulting is and what services it provides. Uh, Forge Consulting, we are a general insurance agency, but also offer financial services such as structured settlements, Regular annuities, deferral of attorney's fees, trust, we do lien resolution, um, back office trust account risk reconciliation, um, all sorts of things for plaintiffs primarily and, uh, and their families. All right. And then if you could, just very quickly, uh, just for the record, explain what a structure is and how that interfaces with plaintiffs' lawyers. Sure. So a traditional structured settlement is between the parties, and that normally means between the plaintiff and the defendant or their insurer. And so usually it was set up in the 80s. Um, it was designed to help plaintiffs protect their money and to keep their money. And it uh, can be earned tax-free, interest grows on that tax-free. Uh, and it's a very good tool, especially for minor children, for those that are incapacitated, disabled. Um, because of that growth, it can provide a steady stream of income, hopefully for the rest of their lives. You're, you're talking faster than I do, and that's so. <laughs> I've been accused of that before. <laughs> right, I, know you, I know you just ran over here, so yeah, let's take it down just no a worries, No worries. All right, good deal. Okay, so pick it up from there. So essentially, the structured settlement, though, would come primarily, usually, except in very small circumstances, would come from the uh, defendant and or its insurer to fund the annuity for the client. 
And so the idea is instead of getting a settlement in a lump sum, it's in an annuity, so they get regular payments over the course of the term of that annuity. Is that's that's great. Yes. Explain to me just very quickly again for the record the concept of constructive receipt and how that affects structures that you may do for uh, a plaintiff's attorney and their clients. Sure. So constructive receipt uh, by the IRS is deemed when the money arrives in the plaintiff's uh, trust account. That would be considered they have received the funds, and therefore the ability to do a structure has been taken off the table. The only way that you could do a structure after that would be to return the funds to the defendant and or its insurer, and then therefore let the uh, – they would have to agree to play ball and redo all the documents because there's so much language that's included in the documents uh, that, that specifies this. All right, so the settlement can't go to the law firm and then to, to the annuity company. That will ruin the constructive receipt and ruin the tax advantages of that. It, it is in very rare cases that, that we're able to do that. But generally? But generally speaking. Correct. All right. So generally, your services that you provide are consulting to sort of match up the client with an annuity company, and then that money is going to, in the settlement or the, whatever it is, verdict is going to go from the defendant or the insurer that's paying whatever that is, that verdict or settlement, directly to that annuity company for the benefit of that client. That is correct. Can't go to the law firm, generally. Generally speaking. Okay. How long have you been with uh, Forge Consulting doing this work? It'll be 18 years uh, this summer. All right. And what's the actual full legal name of the entity? Ford Consulting, LLC. Prosecutor Waters pivots to asking Gunn about his relationship with the defendant. Over the course of your involvement with this business, have you gotten to know the defendant, Alec Murdoch? I have. Right. And just very quickly, tell me the capacity in which you got to know uh, It bore from a professional relationship, doing work with trial lawyers, conventions, CLEs, things of that nature, which ultimately turned into a, you know, a friendship from born out of business. Okay. And when you say friendship, was it a close friendship or more like a business relationship type of, type of friendship? I would say a, a business relationship type of friendship, but one that you know you would text with and, and call on occasion and things. Did you uh, ever do any structures for any clients uh, that were represented by Alec Murdoch as a plaintiff's lawyer? Uh, yes, we did. All right. And just roughly, you remember how many? I would probably say around five. What, what's the last one you remember at least having some discussion with him about doing his structure? The last one that I remember having discussion with, I believe, was the Dion Martin case. Okay. And tell me about that. Did that ever come to fruition or not? It did not. All right. And, and tell me what you made. Uh, we sent over some quotes. Uh, we got some information back from, from the defendant. Uh, he sent us uh, information, uh, a signed option, what, which I would assume was Mr. Martin's. Uh, sent some information back and... Uh, Annuities, you have to understand, are priced on a daily daily market. Uh, sometimes that, that rate is good for a week or two. I sent several emails back uh, saying, hey, this rate is going to expire. We need to move forward. We need to move forward. And uh, ultimately, we ended up closing the case cash because it, we never got a response. And emails asking for a response. Who were you sending those to? I was uh, sending those to uh, Mr. Murdoch as well as uh, his paralegal, Annette Griswold. And so ultimately got no response, so you just closed the file without any services ultimately being provided by Forge Consulting LLC. That is correct, yes sir. Creighton Waters presents a packet of documents to the witness. I'm going to show you very quickly what's been marked as Exhibit 321 for the same camera hearing and specifically direct your attention to the fifth page of this exhibit and just see if you recognize that and then you can flip to the next couple of pages please. Yes sir, I do. All right, tell us what that is. Just kind of flip through first. That's just a new. It's just an annuitized uh, payment stream showing you what the payments we made. Okay. And what the what the amount is. And that's kind of the market rate thing you were talking about. Yes, sir. Yes. All right. Sir. And what are the next documents? Just to uh, the time. next page is a disclosure page where we list all our disclosures, and it appears to be have had been signed by Dion Martin. Okay, keep going. 
Is that that's the only forge related documents you see? Well, I see this. Uh, that's the only forge related documents I see. Yes, sir. All right, let me take that back. Yep. All right. So that's sort of the annuity schedule. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And then this is the disclosure page you were talking about. Yep. Yes, sir. And that is forge generated paperwork, typically. That is correct. Yes. But this this particular structure was never done because you never got a response from Elkin no, sir. or his office. Is that correct? That is correct. Prosecutor Waters next moves on to another area of inquiry. Are you aware generally of what people call the boat rag case or the boat case as it relates to the defendant, Alec Murdoch? Generally, yes. All right. And just without going to specific facts, generally, what was your understanding of that? There was a, a terrible accident happened somewhere down in the low country involving uh, Mr. Murdoch's son and, and several others and a, a young girl passed mm -hmm. away. Were you aware that uh, his son had been charged in that particular case? I was. And were you aware that Alec Murdoch had been sued in a civil matter relating to that? I believe I was made aware through the news. Is it possible for lawyers to structure fees, not the client, but the lawyer, if they're going to get a big fee from a large recovery and they decide they want the protection of an annuity, can they do that? Yes, they can. All right. And um, how does that work? Kind of the same thing? It's the exact same manner as if the client were to do it. The, the check would have to come from the insurance carrier and or the defendant to fund the structure settlement annuity for the lawyer, for their fee. Did you ever have any discussion with Alec Murdoch, either before or after the boat case, about structuring any fees that he had received in the case? We, we had general uh, conversations about structuring fees, but, uh, the, but it would be the same conversation I would have with any attorney, like how you would do it, how you would go about doing it, and how, how checks would be made payable, et cetera. Did you ever have any specific discussion after the boat case about the boat case and him wanting to structure any fees? Not that I recall. Waters then asks Mr. Gunn about his conversations with Lee Cope, an attorney investigating irregularities in the defendant's financial dealings on behalf of Alex Murdoch's former law firm, Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich. I want to take you to uh, September uh, 2021. Did you, uh, around that time, receive a call from Lee Cope? I did. All right. And what did Mr. Cope ask you? He called and asked me if he could, in confidence, give me a list of uh, cases and see if we had any files on them. I told him I'd be fine. I was standing in my driveway. I wrote them down, got back with him later that evening, and let him know that we did not have any of those cases open. Okay. He gave you a list of clients and asked if you had any potential structures. He had asked me if we had any files at all. Generally, what we will do is if an attorney calls, we will open the case immediately just so we have a name associated with the attorney. And so he gave you a list of names. Did any of those names have any files? No. Did he ask you about any banking that Forge Consulting LLC did? He did. And what was his question to you? He asked me if we banked with Bank of America. And what was your response? I told him that we had banked with Bank of America but had not for the last three or four years. So you did not have an, act, an active account with Bank of America we did not. in no. September of 2021? No, sir. Did you have any... Uh, Subsequent conversation with uh, Mr. Cope about the issues that he had raised with you. I did. He called me uh, the following day as well, which I believe was a Thursday, with another list of cases. Right. And what was his inquiry to you? Same, same inquiry. Um, this time, the only one that popped up was the one I mentioned earlier, which is the Dion Martin case. Right. And your response was there was a file, but it was never completed. There was a file, but it was never completed, and we closed it out. Did you... Uh, Asked him at this point, or did uh, what was going on, or why these inquiries were being made? I did not. Did you ultimately find out what was going on and why these inquiries were being made? I found out on Tuesday after Labor Day. All right. And what did you find out? I spoke with uh, Lee Cope, and he told me that uh, Alex had been using a uh, an account called Forge to uh, process the checks. Is that account that he had been using is that a legitimate Forge consulting account? Absolutely not. Did any of that money that went into that account go to legitimate Forge? No, sir. Did Forge Consulting have anything to do with that particular account? No, sir. 
Creighton Waters hands Mr. Gunn a few more documents. Let me uh, show you a couple things real quick. It's been marked as Exhibit 335 to your testimony in uh, this in-camera hearing. And uh, just have you look at that. You look at, in, at particular, look at the name on that particular account. Yes, sir. All right, what does that say? Richard A. Murdoch, sole proprietor, DBA Forge. All right, and is that account a legitimate Forge account? It is not a legitimate Forge consulting account, no, sir. Any money that went into that account, did it have any legitimate relationship to the services and business that y'all provide to plaintiffs? No, sir, none at all. Prosecutor Waters shows the witness an additional 14 deposits that were made into the fake Forge account, each of which Mr. Gunn confirms as illegitimate. Creighton Waters concludes his questioning of Mr. Gunn by asking him if he ever gave checks to Alex Murdoch made out to his company. The witness says no such thing ever happened. Jim Griffin then rises for a brief cross-examination of the witness. I am sure that your board's consulting LLC has done a full investigation into this matter? Yes, sir, we have. As in that investigation, did you find in any record of this account that Bank of America under Alec Murdoch doing business as Ford, did you see the name Maggie Murdoch or Paul Murdoch as co-signatories to that account? No, sir. You seen any record, any document that Maggie Murdoch or Paul Murdoch had anything to do with this account? No, sir. Your company is a insurance agent. Did you ever sell any life insurance to Alec Murdoch on the life of Maggie Murdoch? No, sir. Did you ever sell any life insurance to Alec Murdoch on the life of Paul Murdoch? No, sir. All right. And with the conclusion of Michael Gunn's testimony, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our look at the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of testimony regarding the defendant's financial crimes. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.